Hyde Park United Methodist Church in Tampa, Florida. This is the Bible Project 2020, a journey to reading the Bible without fear or frustration. I'm your host, Matt Hotho. In this inaugural episode, I'm joined by Steve Crawford and the Reverend Jim Harnish as we discuss Genesis 1 through 14. After Steve gives a summary of the readings for this week, Steve and I will interview Jim about some of the key stories in Genesis 1 through 14, creation, Noah, and the Tower of Babel. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is no more well-known introduction to any book ever written. And note that the Bible is not only the best-selling book of all time, the Bible is the best-selling book this year, last year, and every year humankind has kept records of best-selling books. The first 14 chapters of Genesis contain some of the best-known stories from the Bible. We start with the two creation stories that end with the banishment of Adam and Eve, on to Cain and Abel, to Noah, the flood, and the rainbow, to the Tower of Babel, to Abram and Lot, and the mysterious Melchizedek. These early stories from Genesis, which means birth or history or origin, begin to explore and explain the complex relationship between God and humankind. These stories, whether you read them literally or metaphorically, set the overarching theme of the entire Bible, which is salvation history. Or in other words, how God continues to love us despite our transgressions and how God continuously seeks to offer us paths to regain our connection with Him. The Bible is the story of God trying to get us back in right relationship with our Creator or back to the Garden of Eden. We are extremely fortunate to begin our Bible Project 2020 discussion of the first portion of Genesis with insights from the former senior pastor of Hyde Park United Methodist Church in Tampa, Florida. The Reverend Dr. James A. Harnish, welcome, Jim, and thank you for being with us for this podcast and sharing your thoughts and comments. I should add that Reverend Harnish recently retired after 43 years of pastoral ministry in rural, small towns, suburban, and urban congregations in the Florida Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. He was the founding pastor of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Orlando and served for 22 years as the senior pastor of Hyde Park United Methodist Church in Tampa. Dr. Reverend Harnish continues to serve as a facilitator for the Institute of Preaching at Duke Divinity School and is the author of more than 15 books. We are indeed fortunate to have him with us today in person and with us always in spirit and memories. Reverend Harnish, let's uh, start with some general questions. Hold on, let's not make this sound like a trial. Yeah, you better call me Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Where were you on the evening of... I I was going to say Reverend Dr. Harnish. No, please. Okay. Come on, this is just us. All right. Jim, let's start with some basic questions. First of all, how do we read Genesis? Uh, Exactly what is it? Is it history? Is it science? Both. Uh, What would your response be to that? 
let's begin by saying that Genesis is not a book of science. It's not the story of how creation happened. And it's not history uh, in the sense that we read or understand detailed history. Uh, Genesis is not about the how of things or the details of what happened. It's about who and about why. Mm. Uh, my understanding of Genesis really took on a fresh light when I learned that although the stories had been around orally for a long time, we think that the first written documents of Genesis came out of the exile mm -hmm. when the people of Israel had lost everything. They had been carried off into Babylon. They were surrounded by foreign gods that they had never seen or understood necessarily before. Everything had fallen apart for them. So when I could picture people telling this story around some campfire in the exile to tell their children and their grandchildren, this is who our God is. And this is who we are. It uh, gave the story a whole fresh understanding for me. So the creation narratives in particular begin with chaos, which is exactly what they were experiencing. Mm. And describe a God who creates, who speaks the word of creation out of chaos, who brings harmony and order, the days of creation, out of nothingness. And by, by hearing the story that way, I think we get a, a very different sense of what this is about. It's about what, what is the nature of this God in whom we believe? And then who are we? Uh, we are not like all the people around us in Babylon. We, we have a unique identity because of our relationship with God. And it seems to me those questions frame the whole book of Genesis, but particularly these, uh, these opening chapters that, that uh, we're looking at this week. So I guess it's fair to say then that whether the story in Genesis is taken literally or allegorically or metaphorically, um, it really doesn't matter. The key is, is what is the theological truth or lesson that is derived from the story? Is that a fair statement? Yeah, this is one of those places uh, you've heard me say often, I really don't care about taking the Bible literally. I want to take it seriously. And when we take it seriously, it speaks deeper truth than just the way we define truth by scientific or uh, historical records. And in the opening podcast, I thought McGray and Matt uh, did a really good job of, of uh, comparing it in some sense to Lord of the Rings. Um, and I sort of leaned toward Shakespeare, mm. which I know Steve bores you to tears, <laughs> but uh, we don't need to know whether there was actually a historical character named Lear to know that King Lear as a play speaks to deep truth about who we are 
about how we harm each other, about where mercy is found. And I think that's also how we have to come to Scripture. That's not to say that it isn't rooted in history. The unique thing about the God who is revealed in Scripture is that this God really does enter into human experience. Uh, God really is engaged in what we call history. Uh, and I think part of how God is engaged in this history is there in the setting of the Exodus, defining who these people are in relationship with who they believe God is. You mean in the setting of the exile, right, Jim? Kind of yeah. What setting did I say? Exodus, but that's okay. I'm because I because I like how you're tying this into the historical setting of being in Babylon, away from your homeland. And as we're going to read through the Old Testament, we're going to get that whole narrative, but we actually get a hint at it at the very beginning. Absolutely. So the creation narrative um, gives us our first glimpse of the interaction between God and humankind. What, in your opinion, does it tell us about who God is and who we are? It says that God creates, and God creates with a purpose. That God is the God who speaks life into being, who, uh, who holds the order of creation, and then I think when we get to the uh, narratives of the uh, human creation, God, God speaks uh, into our human existence this desire for a relationship with God. That, that painful picture of God walking in the garden mm. and Adam and Eve hiding from God uh, when you feel your way into that moment, you can feel something of uh, the, the brokenhearted love of God that has now been wounded, abused, broken by human arrogance and sin. But the other thing that, that create, the creation narrative really tells us is that it begins with goodness. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a tradition that talked a lot about original sin. I've often said that I keep looking for an original sin, but I keep doing the same old ones. <laughs> um, but the Genesis story is really about original goodness, mm. that God's first intention is for the wholeness, the fullness, and the freedom that God uh, plants within us. And then when we use that freedom to abuse God's purpose, to, uh, to act in ways that are not consistent with God's goodness, um, then we end up with the curse and all the rest that falls on top of us. All right, let's shift gears for a second and talk about the Noah story. Uh, I have vivid recollections of reading the Noah story to my children Uh, 20-some-odd years ago, and quite frankly, how sad they were at the end when the pictures in the book depicted uh, animals uh, drowning. Um, Hmm. And again, I don't want to oversimplify it, but what is the theological point that we take from the Noah story? Yes, where did we ever get the idea of 
putting Noah and the ark on the walls of our nurseries. <laughs> I mean, really, that's, that's a tough, tough story. First, acknowledge that there were flood narratives in all of the ancient right. Middle Eastern religions. So having a flood narrative is not unique. The uniqueness about this story is, I think, the God, again, who is in it. And Walter Brueggemann, who uh, really is probably the finest Old Testament scholar we have right now, Brueggemann lays a very strong case for this is not a story of God's anger. This is a story about God's grief over the brokenness of the world. He rests a lot of that on um, Genesis 6, 6. The Lord was sorry, and it grieved him to his heart. And I, uh, I opened it up again just to remind myself of it, but Brueggemann says, what we find here is not an angry tyrant, but a troubled parent who grieves over the alienation. God is not angered, but grieved. He is not enraged, but saddened. That behind this is a creation that has gone wrong mm -hmm. and a brokenhearted God who um, has to respond to that. And as every parent knows, when something hurts our children, uh, we can feel anger. I mean, I think the God of the Bible does get angry about injustice, about evil, about the things that disrupt and break uh, our lives and, and break God's will. So I think if we come into the story with that vision of God and uh, then with the way God purposes a new creation, that uh, Brueggemann also calls Noah the uh, representative of an alternative creation. Hmm. That God doesn't choose Noah because he's good or anything else, but as a way of, it almost becomes a story of recreation. Let's give this thing another start. Um, and I think to put that spin on it takes... Um, some of the, it just is a different perspective on seeing the story. And then God does, in a sense, change his mind. Um, and God decides at the end, I'm not going to give up on this. Right. I'm going to hang with you. Right. And, and oh, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I think, um, I think those theological insights are really uh, true to the text, especially if you read the text in its final form kind of the Noah story mm -hmm. in his final form. Something that I think bears mentioning if we're talking about the Noah story and the creation story is that uh, these are two points where we actually have two different stories that are sort of laid in the creation story, laid right next to each other. And then the Noah story kind of woven together. Uh, if you're reading this week, you may notice that at times the deity is referred to as God and at times the deity is referred to as Lord. I'm not going to get too nerdy about that, but we kind of have two separate traditions here about the Noah story, one in which God does seem to be pretty judgy, pretty frustrated with the people. Uh, and then a second one where God does seem to show regret. What I love what Brueggemann does though, is something that I think we can do. We don't have to read that story and try and separate out those two versions of God. 
we can see those theologically as two true depictions of God and know that God is regretful and remorseful for what he sees as a creation that has gone off the rail, even if earlier in the story he does appear to be a bit more judgmental uh, and condemning of what's going on. All right, let me focus, if I could, for a moment on uh, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, which is the Tower of Babel, uh, where the people come together and they speak one language, and they decide that they're going to, using their own uh, instruments, uh, build a tower to the heavens. And of course, uh, God watches, and uh, as uh, humankind uh, always does, uh, people begin to get jealous, they begin to get selfish, they begin to experience evil, envy, and uh, we have a situation where they start speaking different languages, so to speak, and the tower and the city come tumbling down. Um, what do you think, Jim, the uh, overall or the overarching um, uh, point is of this particular biblical parable? There is almost no uh, way to measure the potential of human arrogance. Mm. And when we become overly impressed with our own goodness, power, strength, begin thinking that we can reach higher than everybody else, that we can be greater than everybody else, and that we can attain to God on our own, uh, sooner or later it's all going to come crashing down. I guess the Greeks would call this hubris. Yeah, I think so. A little, <laughs> yeah. 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 I think, and it does connect to the Adam Eve story. The temptation in the garden was you can be like God. Mm -hmm. And the temptation at Babel is you can reach God. You can be the greatest without anything other than your own human strength and power. And it always, sooner or later, comes crashing down. And of course, the Genesis story says that God did it, that God knocked down the tower, uh, which is not, I don't think, some uh, sort of um, arrogant, prideful God it's it's the way the Hebrew people told the story of uh, how the inevitable dis, uh, destruction or falling apart comes uh, when we overextend our human power and arrogance. Yeah, and I think that uh, it's really interesting that in Genesis, we get these stories of people trying to become like God. Uh, and then those stories kind of die off, but instead they change into people still trying to do life without God or do life mm -hmm. uh, in the way God doesn't want it, right? I mean, we see that throughout Exodus and then especially in Judges, we see this pattern of people just woefully disrespecting what God has said is the correct way to live. Uh, but it, it's interesting that the start in Genesis is with people not so much not wanting to do what God says, but more so trying to be God or mm -hmm. be like God. And, I'd say the same thing. And of course, uh, once we um, speak out of selfishness and out of envy, uh, we begin not to communicate as well as if we had one common language. And I've always liked the uh, connection that um, theologians have made uh, with what then happens in Acts mm -hmm. uh, when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost in chapter 2. 
Um, tie it in for us, if you would, Jim, uh, what happens with this miracle of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost as kind of being the inverse of the Tower of Babel. Absolutely. It's the, uh, the dramatic power of the Spirit of God that enables, uh, the text says, each one heard in their own language, in their own culture, but they heard the same word, the same good news of God's salvation or redemption, love in Christ, and that they became one. Mm -hmm. uh, the beauty of that story is the diversity continues to be there. They are there from all over the world, uh, Luke says, and they all have their own languages, but they're all drawn together in this in this new um, new life giving power of the Holy Spirit. So yeah, whereas the Babel story uh, ends in chaos and destruction, and the languages separate people by the power of the Holy Spirit, they are brought together. I think that's a message we desperately need in our world today. How do we uh, acknowledge the diversity, the, the variety, the differences among us, and yet allow the Spirit of God to bring us together as one in Christ? I think the, uh, the two stories both describe the inevitable end of our overbearing arrogance on one hand and the recreative uh, new, new life that is available through, uh, through the Spirit of God. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the podcast. We'll be back next week to discuss Genesis 15 through 36 with Nikki Taylor and the Reverend Steve Harper. If you haven't subscribed yet or joined a small group, go to BibleProject2020.com to do both of those things. Our producer for this episode was Steve Crawford. I'm Matt Hotho, and we'll see you next week.